0: into Revelation chapter 1, and here we were reminded very clearly that the focus of the book of Revelation is Jesus. The focus of the book is Jesus. The point of the book is to strengthen struggling churches, followers of Jesus, who are living in difficult days in hostile environments. And with that in mind, that this is the focus of the book is Jesus, and this is the purpose, is to strengthen us, regardless of what we're facing, we want to look this morning at key number one, and that is the throne. Do not miss the throne as you read through the book of Revelation. I won't ask for a show of hands. Last week I challenged you to sit down, carve out time. Somebody told me that an app that they had said it would take an hour and 35 minutes to read through the book of Revelation in one sitting. Uh, Did you do it? If you did, you will notice that the throne is a major, major theme throughout the book. Now, you and I are used to royal chaos, aren't we? Uh, A little drama in the British royal family is nothing new to our headlines. It just goes on and on and on and on, doesn't it? And some of us just stop paying attention because it just keeps coming. Incredible. And even in the light of this past week and even statements made yesterday and all of this kind of thing, debate continues in England and around the world and the, throughout the Commonwealth nations about the legitimacy of having a royal family. Is there a need for it? That debate continues. What is the purpose of it? That debate continues. What kind of power should the royal family have? That debate continues. In fact, polls are being taken in Canada right now, this weekend, asking the questions, do Canadians want Prince Harry living here among us? And if so, are we willing to pay for it? And they're getting two very different answers. One was, I guess, he can live where he wants. And the second is, you want me to pay for what? And that's kind of the summary so far. And that's what's going on. Well, the reality is that, that the nation of England, hundreds of years ago, decided that they would limit the power of the throne. And they would box it in, and they would add parliament, and they would, they would have the royal family, but there were a lot of other things going on now in terms of power and authority. The United States took to violent revolution to free themselves from what they saw as the grip of of royalty in England. Canada and other Commonwealth nations negotiated on paper uh, some kind of arrangement where there is a wink and a nod to the royal family, but we're basically on our own doing our thing. And whatever form it took, whatever timing it happened, people have looked at that throne and have basically said, we've taken over, we'll do this on our own, thank you very much. The danger that exists is this. It is quite possible that the throne of England is not the only throne That we're saying that to. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 4 this morning. We want to look this morning at the throne at the center of it all. Revelation chapter 4. Having been given the letters from Jesus to these seven specific churches, they would all receive all the letters, but each of them had something special and significant and specific with their name on it. We'll get to those in a few weeks. John continues, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, and rumblings, and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, Saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. There is a throne in heaven. Revelation chapter 4, verse 2 makes that very clear. John was shown an open door in heaven, and as he walked through and looked through, here's what he saw, a throne. This throne will be referred to over 40 times in the book of Revelation. Do you think it's a key theme? Something important for us to wrap our hearts and our heads around? Over 40 times. Reference to this throne. At the center of everything, friends is not chemical chaos and random chance. At the center of it all you do not find human ingenuity and individuality. At the center of it all you do not even find human rights and freedoms. At the center of it all there is a throne in heaven. There is a throne in heaven. It is rock-solid, fixed, secure, permanent, anchored there. It has always been and always will be. There is a throne at the center of it all. The prophet Isaiah, as Pastor Marty read for us earlier from chapter 6, was given the opportunity to see that throne in heaven at a very troubling and unsettled time in Israel's history. And God is saying, Isaiah, take your eyes off of the throne in Israel, will you? And place your eyes on the throne in heaven. Everything's under control. The Apostle John is sent by Jesus to deliver this message, to record this message, and to send it to the seven churches in Asia Minor in the first century. Living in a very hostile place. Facing incredible persecution. Very troubling, disturbing, and unsettling times. And they are told, look beyond the emperor. Look beyond Rome. Look beyond your circumstances. There is a throne in heaven. Set your eyes there. Set your eyes there. There would be more troubling things to come from chapter 6 on to chapter 19 in the book of Revelation there are days coming that we're told for the sake of his people God will bring those days to an end or else no one would even survive but whatever is coming whatever we face whatever is to be endured and dealt with and heard about Make no mistake, there is a throne in heaven, and our eyes are to be focused there. But that's not the only detail in chapter 4, verse 2. Not only does a throne stand in heaven, but that throne is not empty. There is one seated on the throne. God is there. Remember chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the one who is on the throne. God is on His throne. He is reigning, He is ruling, and He is ready to judge. He's described here in words that John is trying to picture for us what he sees. He's overwhelmed by what he sees and he's trying to describe this for us. And he describes the one on the throne as, as having the appearance of jasper. Later in chapter 21, as we see the new heavens and new earth, and we, we see this described again, that, that stone is being referred to as being completely clear. Many believe he's actually he's referring here to a, like a diamond, the appearance of a diamond. Then he uses the word carnelian. Some of your translations will say sardius. It's the same stone. It's a a, a blood-red ruby. And there are people that say maybe those two are, are used to describe and symbolize God's glory and God's wrath at the same time. Maybe it's more significant that those are the first and the last stones on the breastplate of the high priest. Maybe it's more significant that those are foundation stones, two of the stones of the new Jerusalem whatever symbolism may be buried and layered in this description make no mistake John is telling us of the brilliant glorious majesty of the one on the throne that's what he is describing and around this throne there's 24 elders gathered let the debates begin hey who is this some people say, oh, it's got to be angels. Personally, I don't buy that because of the, the crowns and some of the other things we see going on. I believe that they are, in fact, people. And we are told that people have all these different ideas of who those people are. Some say, oh, it's got to be the 12 patriarchs and, and the 12 apostles. That would make most sense. Or there, there were 24, 24 divisions of priests. Maybe that's who it is. I want to tell you here this morning The point is not who those elders are. Remember when James and John came to Jesus and said, in your kingdom we've got a fantastic idea for the seats on the right and left of your throne. (laughs) And we're kind of thinking we're in. What did Jesus say? That's not mine to give. Those seats are already assigned by the Father to whom he wants to put there. The point is not that we wrap ourselves around this concept of who are they and we try and fight over that. The point is not who they are it's what they do. Look at verse 10. The 24 elders fall down. Every time these four living creatures sing and praise God holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is, and is to come. Every time they say that the elders get down off of their throne and they Give thanks and honor to Him who is seated on the throne. The 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne. What do they do? They worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, our Lord and God. This is about you. This is not about us. We take off of our crowns and we cast them down before you Because the ground is where they deserve to be. There can only be one king, one ruler in the room, and it isn't any of us. It is you. And they get on their faces before God and they worship Him. So as impressive as these 24 elders are, they understand how this works and it isn't about them. They remove their crowns and they simply worship the one on the throne. Verse 5 tells us that around that throne are also, um, sorry, I'm going to go back up. To, yes, to verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. What is that all about? I would suggest to you that from the throne, right here for the first time John sees it, are the sounds of judgment coming. And the reason I say that is because these sounds we will hear again. And we will hear these sounds again three times. In chapter 8, in chapter 11, and in chapter 16. As the announcement and proclamation of judgments come. The Spirit of God is there. These these seven spirits of God. It's really the sevenfold Spirit of God. It's a way that that is used in Scripture to describe the Holy Spirit. He is there before the throne. And also around that throne are four living creatures. Incredible creatures to read about. In our minds, we try and picture them and we try and read those descriptions and say, What in the world are these things and what do they look like? And we ask ourselves, Are they the cherubim from Ezekiel chapter 1? Are they the seraphim from Isaiah chapter 6? We do know this, they appear to be an exalted order of angels who are guardians of the throne and leaders of the worship of God himself. And as impressive as that setting is, as impressive as those elders may be, as impressive as these creatures may be, there is a point to be made. Mark Devers suggests walking through this exercise, and I'm going to ask us to do it this morning because I think it's fitting and it's important for us to do I would like each of you to picture four people in your minds. Get these four faces locked in there, right? One after another. Are you ready? First, who is the most powerful person you can ever think of? Got them? Secondly, who is the most beautiful person you can ever think of? Number three, who is the most amazing athlete you can think of? Number four, who is the most brilliant intellect you can call to mind? You got them? Take these four people now. As amazing as people tell them they are and they appear to be, Place them with John, with the elders, with the four living creatures right there in the throne room of heaven, and ask yourself, how glorious do they appear now? Ask yourself, what do you think their reaction and response would be in that setting? Because it can only be one of two things. It can only be one of continued absolute defiance of the one on the throne, or it's one of absolute humble surrender and worship of the one on the throne. There's no middle road. There's no middle road. What would you do in that place? What would you do standing there where John is, seeing all that you're seeing and looking to the one on the throne? What would you do there? As we walk through the book of Revelation, we must know, as we consider all that we are told here, about the things that are and the things that will be, everything that John has seen, as we're told about a realm that we don't have physical access to to see with our eyes right now, as we consider the future and as we consider our lives day in and day out right now, we must remember, there is a throne at the center of it all, and God sits upon it. Revelation 1, right through to the end of the book, there is a throne and God is on it. But before we move forward, I need to remind you that not only do we see the throne of God in the book of Revelation, but John also points out to us that there is a false throne that has been erected, a false throne. Turn back to chapter 2 with me, chapter 2 verse 13. In the third letter that Jesus gives to John, to a specific church, he speaks to the church in Pergamum. In a few weeks, we'll spend some time looking into this letter in more detail. But I want you to notice verse 13 here. Jesus says to them, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now think about that for a moment. How bad does a place have to be? For Jesus to describe it as a place where Satan's throne is. I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. We think we're living in an intense time and place. Wow. Pergamum. The place where Satan's throne is. Pergamum is a city that had above it, excuse me, above it, overlooking the city, on the bluffs above the city, was a massive, massive throne-like altar to the pagan god Zeus. As you stood in the city and looked up at the hills, that's what you saw staring back. In 29 B.C., Pergamum had erected a glorious temple in honor of the divine Augustus and the goddess Roma. We worship this kingdom and the one on its throne. There was also a temple in Pergamum to the pagan god Asclepius. Their God of healing. He was pictured as a snake. In fact, there are medical organizations that continue to use a snake as a symbol. His temple was full of live snakes. Ill people would come and they would lay down in that temple to be crawled over by these snakes in hope that this snake god would bring healing to them. On top of that, Pergamum was known as the leading center of emperor worship in the Roman Empire. And if you did not worship the emperor, they would execute you. Difficult place to follow Jesus? To bow to the only true throne? Pergamon was a place where Satan had set up shop, erecting his false throne. Turn over to chapter 13. Revelation 13, we'll read the first two verses. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems, crowns on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. All I'm going to point out right here for the purpose of our study this morning, is this. The dragon has already been identified as Satan himself. The beast will be described later in chapter 17. Antichrist. A kingdom and its king. Possibly in the immediate, expected and seen as the Roman Empire itself, But like much prophecy, check out the words of Isaiah about the Savior to come. Like much in prophecy, there are these these hills, these apparent fulfillments until the final and full one arrives, which is still yet future. And what we know about this is that this beast that is given this authority and this power is a mocking, blasphemous imitation of the Lamb Himself. And the dragon gives what? His power and his throne. There it is for the second time, this false throne. If you want more information on these kinds of things and who are these people and what's all going on, you have to join us Sunday nights at 6.30. That's where we'll take the time to dig into some of these things. Chapter 16. Revelation 16. Verse 10. In this segment where the the bowls of God's wrath, these judgments are being poured out. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. This throne that Satan has set up, this throne where he set up shop in Pergamum, this throne where he places his false imitation lamb and gives it his authority and power, this false throne is doomed. It, will, it is helpless before the power of God, just like everyone and everything else is helpless before the power and throne of God. And as this angel pours out the judgment of God, the throne and the kingdom are plunged into darkness. It sounds like the ninth plague on Egypt, doesn't it, back in Exodus? Remember those plagues that God poured out on Egypt before his people were finally released to leave? Each of those plagues, each of those plagues, an assault upon and an insult to a God of Egypt. You want to worship that? (laughs) And God pours out His judgment. And here, this throne that seems so powerful and so intimidating and its kingdom are plunged into darkness like back in the days of Exodus. And that darkness intensifies the distress of those days and brings a terror all its own alongside of it. We've seen pictures from Australia You've seen those a few weeks ago where the, the smoke was so thick midday in the summertime. It was dark because of the smoke. And it was creepy. And it was scary. It's not even a hint of what's to come. Not even a hint. This throne, this false throne that has been set up and that will continue to be set up, This throne will be judged, it will be defeated, and it will be destroyed. Make no mistake about it. And even as it is, look at the response. People will refuse to repent of their deeds and they'll just continue to curse God. Incredible. The hard, rebellious, sinful heart of man, isn't it? Augustus was described as divus, like one of the gods. Nero was called, some of his coins are inscribed with the phrase, the Savior of the world. Domitian, the one on the throne at the time John is writing. Had people call him our Lord and God. More thrones would continue to be set up throughout history. Thrones continue in our day and apparently the thrones will continue right until they are finally and fully judged at the end in chapter 16 of the book of Revelation. There is a false throne and there is a false God upon it. And one day the curtain will be pulled back as in the Wizard of Oz and we'll find that the person on that throne is maybe not quite as impressive as people thought they were. Incredible, isn't it? In the late 1600s, Bishop Massillon was appointed court chaplain to the King of France, King Louis XIV. At first, King Louis attended regularly all the services and sermons that that the bishop gave. After a while, he, he started to dislike this bishop. He started to disapprove of these sermons and services and he stopped attending. At one point, he actually wrote to the bishop I have heard many great orators and have been highly pleased with them. But whenever I hear you, I go away displeased with myself, for I've seen my own character. And so he stopped coming. In 1715, King Louis XIV of France died. He had called himself Louis the Great. He was the monarch who made that famous statement in history, I am the state. His court was the most magnificent in Europe and his funeral was equally spectacular. As his body lay in state in a golden coffin, orders were given that the cathedral were to be, was to be dimly lit with only a special candle set up above his coffin to dramatize his greatness and draw attention to him. When the time came, for that funeral service, thousands sat in that cathedral in hushed silence. And the bishop came, and as he began to speak, he slowly reached down. He snuffed out the candle, and he simply stated four words. Only God is There is a throne in heaven, above and outside of and over all time and and space that we know here. It is anchored rock solid, and God is on it. And there is a false throne that has been set up, but it is doomed and will be destroyed and finally and ultimately judged. And so I take you finally this morning to Revelation chapter 20. And We will link these three passages together, these three concepts together as we visit Revelation 20, verse 11. And here we see the people before the throne. Revelation 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and Him who was seated on it. From His presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Paul tells us the last enemy to be destroyed is death, and here's where it happens. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's talk about these moments before the throne, shall we? What we see here in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, is the end of all things as we know it. And there is nowhere to hide. Great and small, all will stand before the throne. There is no one so important that they are immune to this judgment, and there's no one so unimportant that they sneak by in the shadows unnoticed. Great and small, all will be brought before the throne and judged on the basis of their works. And if you don't like the sounds of that, you don't get a vote. God has told us that in Jeremiah 17. In Romans chapter 2, in 1 Peter 1, we have been told that we will stand before God and answer for our deeds. And you say to me, Steve, I'm saved by faith. And I say, absolutely, brother or sister. We are saved by faith. And the genuine reality of that faith is demonstrated in the fruit it produces. So says the Word of God. And in this moment, on that day before the throne, there will be no excuses to be offered. There will be no defense to be heard. All that is presented is the evidence and the judgment to be rendered. That's the process. But I give you a word of hope. Do not fear this morning. Because not just are the books opened that record, yes, everything you and I have done and we will answer for. But there is another book. And this book is brought out and it is the Lamb's book of life. And we see it in chapter 3 and in chapter 17 and in, back in Romans or Revelation rather 13. We read this speaking of the power that was given for a time to the beast authority was given over it uh, given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on earth will worship it everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain the book of life we are told in Romans 8 there is no, therefore no condemnation to those who are aware in Christ Jesus. Are you glad? Are you grateful? John chapter 3, verse 18 tells us whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John chapter 5, verse 24 tells us. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Revelation 21, verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, this new city, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written, where? In the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb's book of life. Here's the point this morning. You and I will stand before the throne of God one day. No escaping it, no avoiding it. We will. The question then becomes this. Before which of these two thrones will you bow now? Will you bow to the throne in heaven and to the God who sits upon it? Or will you continue to defy him and bow to the false throne of all that is against him? Doomed from the start, but continuing to fight on anyway. Which throne will you bow before? Because that choice determines how that final day will turn out for you. Will your name be found written in the book of life? The Bible tells us this in 2 Corinthians 5. God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, rebellion against God in any of its forms, God made Him who knew no sin to become sin. Why? So that in Him, you and I, sin by nature, objects of wrath, enemies of God, who now are in Him, we stand in the righteousness of Jesus. When you stand before that throne on that day will you be standing in the righteousness of Jesus so humbled and so absolutely overwhelmed with gratitude to the one who made forgiveness and life possible for you who took your judgment and gave you his righteousness will you be standing in his merits before God or will you in arrogance and absolute futility, continue to stand before God defiantly on your own merits. That's the question, isn't it? Will your lamb, will your, will your name, sorry, be found written in the Lamb's book? Or are you too busy trying to write your own and set your own rules? Friends, now is the time. Now is the time to embrace the Lamb of God, Jesus, the sacrifice He sent for you, the only way possible to have forgiveness in life and be called His child, the only way, because we are told that when He comes again, it will be too late. And you will be, either be in the Lamb or you will be terrified of the Lamb. Now is the time we decide. I remind us this morning as we conclude that there is a throne at the center of it all and God is on His throne and because God Almighty who is and who was and who is to come, God Almighty is on His throne because of that I must do three things. First, I must trust Him. Janet sang about that this morning, did she not? I must trust Him. Regardless of whether my plans come to be or not, regardless of whether I understand or like or enjoy whatever's going on, I must trust Him because He is on His throne, ruling and reigning. Do you trust Him? What in your life is going on right now that tempts you at times to think maybe God's not on His throne? What's going on in your circumstances? What are you enduring right now that at times make you think, oh, maybe God's not on that. Maybe maybe it's just all, it seems just to be so chaotic and out of control. Maybe God's not on His throne, so, so things are out of control. Maybe God's not on His throne, so it doesn't really matter how I live. Maybe God's not on His throne, so I'm on my own. Whatever you are facing and walking through, I point your attention back to Revelation chapter 4 this morning, and I urge you, remember, God is on His throne. Let your heart be encouraged. Trust Him. Trust Him. Secondly, God is on His throne, so I must humble myself and surrender to Him. Remember the 24 elders? who seem so impressive that they're given thrones in the throne room of heaven and golden crowns to wear? I mean, that sounds pretty amazing, doesn't it? But what do they do? They cast their, th- their crowns at the feet of the throne and they bow down and they worship Him. Are you tempted to keep or to put anything else or anyone else Including yourself on that false throne? Instead of humbling yourself to the one who's on the actual throne? Because when we do, we are simply declaring again our allegiance to Satan himself, who rebelled against God, plunged us in with him, and invites us to continue to thumb our nose at God, And join his ranks. Condemned, defeated, and destroyed though he will be. God is on his throne. I must humble myself and surrender to him. And the place that starts is by coming to him only on his terms. The only way we can. And that's through humbling ourselves and accepting the fact that Jesus is in fact the Son of God that Jesus, in fact, did die to pay for our rebellion against God, that he did rise again, that he does live and reign, and that he will return for us. And giving him all that we have and are, turning our back on doing things our own way and embracing him as the Lord that he is and walking forward with him. Friends, surrender to him. And the final thing is this. God is on his throne Therefore, I must worship Him. I must worship Him. Him. Him alone. I'll show you one more picture of the throne as we prepare to sing and reflect on these words this morning. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's sing his praises together because of who he is because of all He's done, because of all He will do. And Let's reflect on the reality of His throne, that false throne, and our day before His, together as we sing.